What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, and welcome to The Booch Cast. This week, ladies and gentlemen, as you can see from everything that has been on the platforms, the Anchor, the Spotify, the Breaker, the Google Podcast, the iHeartRadio, you can tell The Booch has come bearing gifts and it ain't even fucking Christmas yet. Christmas in July! Yes. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. You know I'm a pirate now, right? Yes. You Hello. Know. This is Captain Gahab. This is Captain Gahab, oh aka Gator Ricky Ross. I have brought my treasure of booty. Oh, God. What? I'm a pirate. This is so uncomfortable. A pirate. I mean, I guess this makes sense considering it's Pride Month, but anyway. I, I'm a pirate. No, 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 no. Children, 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 children. Gator got assigned a new gimmick. Now I'm a pirate. Oh, God. Yes. And if you heard the, the sea shanty from uh, Tuesday's episode, you kind of know what that means. But anyway, um, the reason I say I come bearing gifts this week is because I'm giving you guys not one, but two classic pay-per-view reviews this week. And of course, um, he's already introduced himself, so I don't know if I need to do the introduction. Do, do I still need Hello, to- Captain Gayhab here. Yes, <laughs> Captain Gayhab is here on the show this week. Um, yeah, uh, I, I'm gonna need well, time. It's like Gator, but Ahab? Uh, yeah, it, it sounds like something else, Gator, but again, it's Pride Month, so we're good. Uh, but we oh, got yes, yes, I'm very proud of that name, Mr. Bujarelli. Stop. Yes, you should be proud. You should be very proud. I'm very, I'm very proud of that name. Wave that pirate flag high. So it, you know what's you know what's funny. You you know how the Jolly Rogers has you know crossbones and all that. Yeah. My flag, flag, flag. My flag has a rainbow on it, and and I'm holding a unicorn because I don't want people to think I'm a scary pirate. Oh, okay, that's that's fair. So I got the rainbow. All right, awesome. Because I'm Captain Gahab. Yes, that that works perfectly. It makes perfect sense. And. Uh, yeah. Uh, I know some. I managed Jolly Roger. Yes, 
Now, I know there's some of you here that are familiar with uh, me and Gator, so you're laughing your asses off right now and enjoying every minute of this. But there might be some of you out there going, oh my God, they're going to hell. Well, technically you're right, because today we are coming back with our classic pay-per-view reviews. And of course, as you guys know, here's how this works. Uh, this is where uh, myself and Captain Gayhab, uh, we go through uh, the classic pay-per-views from yesteryear, usually from WWE, WCW, ECW, and we look at them from the perspective of not just two people who are big fans of wrestling, but also two people who work in the business. Gator, as you guys know, is a, he has been a wrestler. He is a manager. He has been a referee. He's done announcing. He's popped the popcorn. He teaches at a school. He's pretty much got the industry covered, even with the new uh, pirate gimmick that he has. And of course, as you guys know, I've got my history in the business. I've been a commentator, I've been a ring announcer, I've done the street team, I've chauffeured wrestlers to and from the building. I've even had some managerial moments myself with my uh, Vincenzo the Butler gimmick. So, that we're hoping to get more gigs out of that in the future, but I'll keep, I'll, I'll, keep, I'll post it on that. So, this week we're doing something a little different than we normally do, because usually when we look at pay-per-views, when we've done them, we've usually gone to the 90s. Because that's the, that's the generation that I grew up on and uh, Gator uh, knows a little bit about as well. And also because, to me, the 90s have been the best time in wrestling, in my opinion. Like, I, I think the 90s have been the best time, period. You know, I'm one of those guys that's, yes, I'm stuck in the 90s. Because it, it was the transition year between, you know, real motherfuckers and the political correctness and the crazy shit we see today. The 90s like that last good decade before... Before everything went to shit. Well, in honor of the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view that took place this past Sunday, Gator thought, you know what? He actually said he, that we need we need to go through some of the more modern pay-per-views. This week we are doing Hell in a Cell 2009. Now, some of you are probably sitting here thinking, Booch, you're talking about Hell in a Cell 2009. What about Hell in a Cell 2022? Good question. Uh, we ain't recapping that on the show because we don't do because the- we don't hate ourselves. Yes, exactly. We 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 love ourselves and we love our fans and we wouldn't subject you to that but at some point uh this week we will be doing i will be doing the male soap opera moment with my good friend uh joey wensler the wens and we will be discussing hell in a cell 2022 because we decided to do two episodes a month instead of one where we're going to recap that pay-per-view so be on the lookout for the male soap opera moment on wens world for hell in a cell 2022 so hell in a cell 2009 we're choosing this because this is the first ever hell in a cell pay-per-view and it was held for wrestlers from the promotions raw smackdown and ecw because ECW was still a WWE brand at this time. The event took place on October 4, 2009 at the Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey, and it replaced the annual October pay-per-view, No Mercy. Usually, there'd be No Mercy instead of telling a Cell. And there were eight matches that took place. The theme song you guys heard at the beginning of the show was Monster by Skillet, which was... Gr- That's the one thing I love about listening to the modern pay-per-views is that I got to hear, like, songs that I know instead of just the generic stuff they did back in the day. Now, of course, the attendance was 12 12,356 people with a $283,000 buy rate. And of course, we had our commentators, Michael Cole, Jerry Lawler, Jim Ross, and Todd Grisham were there. Uh, the interviewers were Josh Matthews. The ring announcers were Tony Chimmel and Justin Roberts. And our referees were Charles Robinson, John Cone, Scott Armstrong, and Chad Patton. They were the ones that were officiating the matches for the evening. And ladies and gentlemen, all that's left to do now is for us to jump into this first match here. And I was surprised that this opened the show, but it did. In a Hell in a Cell match for the World Heavyweight Championship, CM Punk defends the title against The Undertaker. It's only, it's only open because somebody was married to the daughter of the guy that owned the company and the other guy was sucking his nuts. That that's that that can be a valid reason. Fuck you, Shawn Michaels. <laughs> yes, uh, we we've already established that uh, you how you feel about him, but uh, I'm just saying I hate Shawn Michaels. His guts is just so much having motherfucker. Dude, he's not on that stuff anymore. Well, well I'm gonna take that lipstick, Sonny Cap applying over and over and over again, and I'm gonna kiss his. He can kiss my ass with it. Okay, uh, maybe he, I guess he enjoyed that particular brand since they were uh, together for quite a while. He did. He, he so in. Some 
Johnny's book. He he liked to do her from behind when she kept applying lipstick until she until she looked like Ronald McDonald. That's okay. That's weird. Apparently that's a thing. That's that's weird as fuck. But anyway, okay. So... I don't know. This is what happens before you get saved by Jesus. Yes. Okay. So um. So can we can we can we can we, can we how do you feel about the match though? Let's get to the match. The opening contest was the Undertaker versus CM Punk, right? Yes, I just said that. <laughs> I enjoyed this only for Punk. I mean, it's the Undertaker and Helen to sell, so it's going to be good anyway. But CM, CM Punk's facial expressions make this entire thing. They do. Like, he, you could, he's definitely selling all the pain that he's going through. Yes. And the opening portion when, when, when Taker comes in and he shuts that door behind him, iconic, just iconic shit. Iconic shit. Yeah. This was, this was pretty cool. I, I enjoyed this very thoroughly. It just, it told the story because you, you can sometimes get lost in this, in this pay-per-view because it's three Hell in the Cell matches back to back to back to back. Yeah. There's only three on the card total. Right. But what I'm saying is, is that's, that's too, too many. So, so it kind of dilutes it, but they don't, being what comes up first, they don't completely shit on it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Well, How about you, Mr. Bujarelli? What did you think? Well, here's here's the thing that I I'm gonna say first, and this this is something that bothered me at the very beginning. And this and maybe this is a traditional side in me, but I've always had a pet peeve with this. Anytime I've seen it on a pay per view, mm-hmm. I don't like the champion coming out first. I don't like it. I, I do not disagree with you on that, but I kind of was trying to let that go. Uh, you, you you can let it go. I'm not letting it go because I know why the champion didn't come out first, and I'm fuck. It's something I'm fucking sick of seeing in wrestling. Well, they. Only did it so Taker could do that spot where he traps him in the dam. Now that okay, that can be a valid reason. Okay, that was the only reason why the champion came out first. But in general, I hate it. I feel like the champion should always come out last, and I don't care how big of a legend you are. It, like, it was only done so Taker could do that spot where he shuts it. Well, here's my question: because it doesn't, you he can't shut the door and it look good and have that facial expression of punk going, "Fuck, I'm trapped in here with this psychopath." <clears throat> if okay. he's not in there first, yeah. Yeah, that that I guess that can make sense. I guess that makes sense. That's how I perceive it. Well, I'm saying that that's the only justification I can I would I would accept for that because I'm sick and tired of I don't like it when the champion comes out first because the champion's not a legend. Fuck that. You're in a wrestling ring. The legendary status shouldn't matter when the bell rings. It should be a match. You got a challenger. You got a champion. Champion always comes out last. Now, if they're doing it, so Taker can have that door slamming effect. Okay, I'll accept that answer. But if that's not the reason, then that was a stupid thing to do. And also, is Punk really the only straight-edge world champion in history? I don't know. Was Pat Patterson ever... He wasn't world champion. He was intercontinental champion. Uh, I don't know. Yes, but he, he was. He wasn't. He wasn't straight edge. Well, no, he wasn't. He was not. Happy Pride Month, children. <laughs> yes, thank you. Uh, but no, I'm saying like, what about Bob Backlund? Was he was he on the show? That's funny because that's funny because Pat Patterson is gay. Yes, thank you for explaining the joke to the audience. Well, Zach listens. We have to. Oh right, right, right. Zach listens. Yeah, we gotta we gotta explain it for him. So sorry if we're if we're explaining jokes. We're, because we're trying to get Zach to understand what humor is. So we're happy to explain any and all of this as we go along. So go with it. Just go with it. Go with it. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but yeah, and I'm, what about Bob Backlund? Was he on the shit? Anything? Is he, he doing anything? Okay. I'm being serious. I don't know. I never I, heard I don't any Bob Backlund drug shit. stories. I, I've never heard him. Okay. I, I don't know. Bruno drank wine. Uh, but what? Yeah. And what about Triple H? I don't think he took. He did anything because he he didn't even drink from what I what I heard. I don't know. I know. I know about the Taker Taker in the bottles of jack story oh yeah well t- yeah taker drank uh that cypress hill band under the table yeah that was funny that's a given um but i'm just saying like he's the only straight edge like like i know like i would have said stone cold but i remember he he drinks a lot of beer so that's not straight edge um, no 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 like he he legitimately does drink beer that's what i'm saying so that's not but that's yes yeah, so i'm saying that's not straight edge uh yeah, man, man. The Rock? I think I don't know. Was the Godfather ever? No, he he did marriage with Lana. Yes, um, he, yes, he the Devil's Lettuce. Yeah, the Devil's Lettuce. Yes. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he was the only straight edge world champion. 
Yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't know if you guys if you guys know any other world champion uh, that has not that has done no drugs or alcohol. Uh, please let us know. Message us. And, and, and by drugs, we we do include the devil's lettuce. Yes, we have to include the that devil's lettuce. That is included. Lettuce. We have to include it. Yes. So nobody's there. RBD. Exactly. So and, and again, when we we don't hate the devil's lettuce, but we do have to include it. So we do have to include it. And and by and by the way, if anybody was in ECW first, they automatically do not count. <laughs> automatically that so, is so true just think about that were they in the in the original ecw yes if they were uh, yeah if, they were they don't count. if they were in ecw if you saw them wrestle for an ecw company and they were in a goddamn bingo hall that don't count yes if they were in philadelphia probably didn't work like jack why am i freaking out that's called paranoia bubba jack why's my heart beating so fast that's called uncut bubba jack what's the matter with me that's called you about to die bubba <laughs> New Jack. So anyway, ECW. <laughs> that 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 was Bubba's first time snorting coke. Apparently, he couldn't handle it. Ah, uh, ECW. Exactly. But I will say this about the match, because uh, I know some of you are thinking Vinny was the match. I love. Here's what I love about this: Punk took an ass kicking in this thing. He he sold well. That's why I said the facial expressions really tell the story. of This I just hate that that these modern matches there is no blood. <laughs> Yeah, there, there's I'm no blood. Saying, I'm not saying in, in general. I'm just saying that these modern Hell in the Cell matches, there is no blood, and it does not tell the same story. Yeah, I, I mean, and I, I can agree to an extent. Obviously, a lot of them. Well, that's, the, that's the traditionalist in me. Yes, that's fine. You know, but still, even without the blood, yeah, was very well. Yeah. Here's what I also love about this. Not only did Punk sell very well, like, Taker limped throughout most of this match. Agreed. The second Punk started working that leg really bad. Like, he yeah. was limping. Even when he dropped the leg drop he was limping he rolled out on the floor and is still selling the leg as he takes his time to regroup before he picks up punk and does everything else and then you know eventually punk gets the response taker does not get enough credit for being one of the best psychologists in wrestling no, I think he gets all the credit in the world. I, he really does. I, I think he gets credit, but I don't think he gets credit for that one thing. I mean, when they talk about psychologists, everybody's like, Jake the Snake, Jake the Snake, DDP, DDP. I'm like, eh. Undertaker. Yeah, I mean. Raven, Raven, Undertaker. <laughs> I, I get Raven a lot when I don't when know I've why asked, I, I've never heard Raven. I've get, I've gotten Raven as a psychologist before, but but then I have to bring that student back to earth. <laughs> yeah, I've heard I've heard mostly I've heard like I've heard Jake the Snake the number one name I've heard the most. Yeah, I've heard uh, Jake psychology. The Snake. I've heard DDP. Yeah, DDP. I've heard his name a few times. Uh, I've heard I've heard who else have I heard? I know I've heard Snuka. I've heard Hogan. I've heard Flair. I've heard I've heard Raven, and that's mainly. Because they st- they thought that psychology meant the mind games and shit that he would do with the promos, oh, and I had to kind of be like, that was a different different side to it. I'm talking about in ring psychology. Yes, that's 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 being a great promo. That's not psychology. That's just that's just having great mic skills, which Raven did. Um, oh my god, he's so underrated. Oh god, I know. And although I will say, and then at one point in the match, um, I love the counters. You know, Punk goes to GTS, Taker fights out, goes to Tombstone, fight. Punk breaks out of that. You know, attacks the injured knee. Like again, the storytelling throughout the match. And then what I also love was at one point, um, you know, Punk does that running knee, and then Taker responds with the last ride. Am I wrong for thinking that should have been the finish? Uh, it. <laughs> I thought it should have ended right there. We didn't need the extra shit after that. Uh, agreed, but uh, you know how people are. Yeah. It's like, I mean, look, the old school and the knee in the gut and Punk getting frustrated and grabbing the chair. Taker hits a big boot and not the chair into Punk's face and the choke slam, the tombstone. We didn't need all that. The last ride could have ended it right there. It would have been great. And then, of course, but, but you know, what do we know? Exactly. What do we know? Moving on. Yes. So, yeah. So, anyway, after the tombstone pile driver, Taker gets the win and becomes a seven time world champion. World which, champion. Which, based on the storyline and everything going, I guess it was the right thing to do. It made sense for what was going on. Yeah. Taker, of course, won the mean? world title. Every- Happy. Next up. Next up, we have our next match. Oh, by the way, um, that match was ten minutes and twenty four seconds. That that helped yep. sell, which was which is a good time. That's really all you need. It went long enough where I wasn't like, "How do you please a woman?" Exactly. Because here's the thing: well, if, if it's too short or too long, either way, you're having a hard time pleasing the woman. 
Uh, there are matches that go really long, and it's like you know, Jesus, man. Trust me. That that call that calls back to an earlier episode of the Boochcast that may end up coming back later. Exactly. So on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening for the WWE Intercontinental Championship. John Morrison defends the title against Dolph Ziggler. What the fuck was this? I, this was just some flippy bullshit. Do you disagree? I, I just didn't enjoy this. This was there was no psychology. It was just like move, move, spot, spot, move, 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 move. I mean, I, I do, I, I do. I think there was psychology. Not a lot. It was uh, just move, 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 move. I would, I wouldn't say this was a spot monkey match though. I, I disagree it, with that. I think I'm, it was I'm a. I'm thinking in the in the idea of it was just move, move, move. Yeah, move, I think move. it was. It was. It was wrestling. It was wrestling, but it wasn't working. If that makes sense. Oh, there you go. That's a good. That it was, you know, there was a lot of amateur wrestling going on, and it was kind of like, because in a way, that's what amateur wrestling is. It's, yeah, you're grappling, there's moves, it's fast-paced, but they weren't like, what I'm saying is, there weren't a lot of moments in the match where it's like, this doesn't look believable, or this guy's jumping off the top rope for no fucking reason, or we're gonna spill out onto the floor. They didn't do any stupid shit. Just, no, there was some stupid shit, but it was just, it just was very, just, there was no story. Yeah, it was There was no story. It was be told here. Yes. Although I will say this and is now weird. I'm really fucking pissed. I gotta say this though. Um Ziggler's perfection song is weird to hear now. It ain't it? Yeah. First of all, it's like he looks so different. I forgot how different he looked back then. It's like I am perfection. It's like really I'll wait till we get to two thousand six. Yeah, I'm just saying. Um, Ziggler? You know why I'm saying that, right? Yes, I do. Ziggler? Yeah, uh, that's the spirit. Yeah, I just love um, Ziggler's like, uh, Ziggler's like, um, you know, I am perfection. Um, Ziggler, I come from the future. No, you're not. No, in fact, I this am is the job be- man. In fact, shit. I am a job man. Yes, your shit goes downhill for a very long time. I'm still a job man. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. So I. But I loved. It. I loved about it was there was uh like I said there was Matt wrestling. Um. You know. And Jr. points out like if this was an amateur match, Dolph would have already won because he got the the quick pin. Because in amateur wrestling, there's, it's one pin, not three counts. So they're trading pin attempts. Um. I did like one moment from Dolph that was my favorite moment of the match. And this is just for me personally was when he hit mm-hmm. that far side cradle. Okay, that was cool. But it was just I. There was no star. I couldn't get invested in this because there was no story. This was, was just something for Jr. Are to grab his fucking dick to and half smile. <laughs> no, I get it. I'm just saying what I liked about it was the reason I liked that far side cradle is because when I did amateur wrestling, that was my finish. Back in the day, I won many, many wrestling matches with that move. In fact, my first victory ever in wrestling uh, was when I was in eighth grade, and that was when I learned how to do the far side cradle. And basically, what would happen is there'd be the guy that would be down in the referee's position. You know, you're uh, you know, you're down on all fours, and then the guy would get on top he would put one hand on the belly button one hand a circle around the elbow and i would learn you know one of the ways to get up is a stand-up move what you do is you put your leg up you put your knee up and then your other leg comes up and you like arch your back and try to like get separation and peel the hands off and get away but when someone would go for that stand-up what you would do is take one arm wrap it around wrap it underneath the leg get underneath the knee then you come around the top of them through the chest lock your hands and you pull them back and that's how you get the far side cradle and i learned that move um my uh my middle school wrestling coach was showing that so i finally used it one day in a match and i was able to win the match five to three on points because i was able to get it in there but i it was hard for me to pin somebody with that move so it just helped me get a lot of points and stuff I mean, I did get some pins with it, but mostly it was just helping me get points and, you know, do real well. And then when I was in high school, my first high school match, I used that to win by Tech Fall. And I also used that cradle to win um, the last two home matches that I had my senior year of high school. Um, I was able to, uh, we called it senior night because they were home matches and they were celebrating the fact that it was going to be the last time that I wrestled inside Northview High School. And I got the win both nights because it was a three-team match. So it was like, we wrestled one team, then we got a break, then we wrestled the other team, and I was able to win both times, and it was great. So that's why I loved seeing that far side cradle, because that used to be my main move, and I would lock it in and 
you know, pin people with that and get points off of that. And many of my wins came from the far side cradle. And that's something I wanted to share for the moment. But still, like I said, the back and forth action was great. The high, you know, the high spots were where they needed to be. It was basically just wrestling. And that can work in some cases. So in some cases, but it was a cold match and there was no story. Yeah, I mean, I guess I think they they had a little bit of a story, but it wasn't like something to get. There was no story. I meant leading up to the match, there was a story, but it wasn't like when they got in the ring. It was mostly the Intercontinental Title is basically this is the type of match you have with an Intercontinental Title. It's the workers' title, and they were working, and it was a decent match for what it was worth. And it lasted 15 minutes yes. and 41 seconds. So it didn't suck, but it wasn't something that was like tugging okay. at your heartstrings. On to our next contest, yes. children. Our next contest for the WWE Divas Championship. Mickey James defends the title against Alicia Fox. The only reason this was remotely any somewhat decent was because of the fact that it was Mickey James. And it was okay, and she took the whole workload. Fuck this entire match. It really wasn't that bad of a match. It was just hitting. Okay, why? There was no psychology. They were just they were just out there to be out there. Okay. Right. You know I hate women's wrestling. You can't expect me to change my opinion. I'm trying to analyze it. It was the shitty. Okay. Well, uh, the way I saw the match was I felt that Mickey and Alicia uh, worked pretty good together. Um, obviously Alicia Fox, she's uh not like you know definitely a top tier women's wrestler, but she can at least work a match. Would I list Alicia Fox's name amongst the greatest women's wrestlers of all time? Absolutely fucking not. But the fact is, she was a decent worker, and I thought they had a really good match. I thought it was good for the rivalry they were having. It was fucking terrible. Mickey James could not rescue this drizzling shit of crap. Mickey James is from my state. You realize that, right? No, I didn't. Mickey James is from Richmond, Virginia, which is the capital of, of Virginia. Okay. I hold her to a high standard in wrestling because she comes from this state. Alicia Fox works similarly to a guy that used to work in the 90s called the Renegade. Nobody could save her, just like Arn Anderson couldn't save the Renegade. All right, all right. You made your point. Obviously, there's no sense in changing your mind, so I'll just wrap this up. Long story short, Mickey James dominated most of this match before countering a bridge attempt by Fox into a Mickey DDT, where she practically spiked her head into the damn mat, and that shocked the shit out of me. I was like, holy shit, I hope she's okay. And she got the pinfall and retained the Divas title. And the match overall lasted 5 minutes and 20 seconds. Of our lives, we can't get back. Okay, so we're going to move on now to the next match of the evening for the unified WWE Tag Team titles. Jericho defends the titles against Batista and Rey Mysterio. I totally forgot that Jericho used to not suck. This is before he was a wizard. Yeah. He used to not suck. Did you know that? Yeah, I've known that. I've seen a lot of his classic matches lately while, we're, while we're doing these reviews. Jericho was very good in the ring. This is before he lost his mind. Yeah, I'm saying, like, Jericho just has shitty ideas and doesn't understand that, you know, there should be a waiting period before you just explain to people how you put a match together. Outside or of you go on the fucking internet and expose our entire business. In ring-wise, he is still good. He just has shitty ideas, and he doesn't have Vince McMahon there to go, that is stupid. That's not going to work, pal. Yeah. There's somebody needs to be there to tell him that. And uh, yes. TK. having somebody just roam wild. But I forgot that, that Jericho and Big Show were a tag team at one point. Not only that, they were champions. Yeah. I, I'm i not mad at this match. This was a typical tag match. Yeah. Uh, Jericho and Big Show worked very well together in this match. Yeah. Um, and Ray and Batista were just, I mean, it was a combination I wasn't expecting. Yeah, they were. Tr in fact, it was actually the fact they both mutually loved and respected Eddie was what made them a tag team in the first place. Yeah, and yeah. you know, I I always thought that was an awkward they weren't a shitty. They worked well together, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it was awkward to see, but they did very well. And of course, um, you know, watching Ray and Big Show working in the ring, and the fact that even after all these years, they still have great psychology when they work together. Because exactly, that's what you call making that size differentiation work 
work. Yeah, because they make it work. You know, like anytime like Big Show gets his hands on Ray, he's hurting him like hell, but he kicks him in the legs, and you know yeah. when he lifts him up, he headbutts him before he can throw him on the ground and everything else. Stay with me, children. Psychology. And that's what made it work. That's why Ray and Big Show are able to have great matches, despite the fact that one is seven foot tall and the other is just big enough to not be a midget. Exactly. He's just big enough to not be labeled a midget. Yeah. And of course, there's the typical Jericho tries to rip off the mask, which I've always found hilarious. This is me personally. As later in that later in the year, him and Jericho end up in a mask versus title feud. Yeah. But the thing for me is this. And this is what. Obviously, this was the advantage of the Monday Night Wars was that is that there were people who only watched WWE and never even looked at WCW twice. Never knew that Ray had already been on Exactly. So for, for me, when I've seen like W for someone who was heavy on the WCW side of things during the Monday Night Wars, whenever I see somebody trying to play with Rey Mysterio's mask, it just it does I get why they're doing it. I get the spot, but emotionally it does nothing for me. Like, there's certain other wrestlers that are masked that if they were to have their mask ripped off, like Pentagon or Ray Phoenix. Yeah. Because I've never seen them without their masks on. Or like the first time that I saw Hoovy have to unmask when he had his match with Jericho. We'll get to that, kids. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, I had that same feeling of like, wait a minute, are we really about to see his ugly ass face? Yeah. Hell, part of the reason I, I, I went Super Bowl nine that we did a while back, other than Hogan and Flair, the only other motivation I had to see that pay-per-view was because I wanted to see Ray take his mask off. Exactly. And, and, when, and when he did, I was like, oh, shit. So, so yes, yeah, so I've already seen Ray without his mask. So play, doing the mask spot does nothing for you if you're a WCW guy. But if you were WWE all the way through, that moment can mess with you because you're like, What's, how's he look? How's he look? How's he look? How does he look like we already know, bro? So it, it it don't work. It don't work for me, brother. But the rest of them, I, I guess it does. But overall, again, great psychology, great in ring work. In the end, uh, Ray. Although I will say the finish, I thought was stupid. Oh, it was. And I'm gonna tell you why. Ray hitting a drop kick on Big Show. Okay, if hit correctly, which it was, I'll buy that. I can buy that. Nailing the six one nine, believable. I I can buy into that. You know, he's 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 at the level. Getting kicked in the face can still hurt you. Going for the West Coast pop. Yeah. On what fucking fantasy world did anyone think he was gonna hit that? Well, I mean, come on, come on, people, come on now, come on now, come on now. Let's not, because here's the thing, and I get, okay, well, they were setting it up for the WMD, yeah, I get it, but the whole purpose of going for a move is to insinuate or imply that you will hit the move. There's no, even if Big Show helped, there's no fucking way he's hitting Big Show with a West Coast pop. It's, even if by some miracle, they managed to get Big Show over his head and onto the floor. He ain't hooking those big-ass tree trunk legs. That was the dumbest thing in the match. But show hit the WMD, they get the win, that's great. But I'm sorry, this was a match that it was that had working, that had psychology, that had great storytelling. Only and Ray and, and the and these are veterans people. They know better. Ray knows better. That was a dumb spot. The finish was stupid. I can't wrap my head around the fact that Ray thought that would be an idea and show sat there and went, oh yeah, yeah, let's uh, that'd, be, that'd be good. Let's, that'd be good. No! <laughs> Seriously, both of you are veterans. Hell, one of you is a goddamn coach now. <laughs> Use your head! Jesus Christ, that was stupid. I just sat there and went, did they really try that? That was so dumb. And what was otherwise a very great tag team match. So I had to get that on my chest. That was so fucking... 13 minutes, 41 seconds. 13 minutes and 39 seconds of it was great. All right. Moving on. Moving on to the next match of the evening. A Hell in a Cell match for the WWE Championship. John Cena defends the title against Randy Orton. <laughs> okay. How do I, how I go with this? I enjoyed this, but this far into the pay-per-view, I'm also sitting here going, why is this not the main event? Exactly. So, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. I thought the, I thought you could really feel the tension between the two guys. They did a very good job with that. Oh, yeah. This right here, ladies and gentlemen, was an amazing Hell in a Cell match. Loved it. 
because this is two of the best in the business ever. Yeah. Having one of the greatest rivalries of all time. And I called it years ago when they debuted. I said, if it was booked correctly, which it was, they could have the greatest rivalry since Austin and The Rock. That's exactly what they did. They have had the greatest rivalry since Austin and The Rock. One of. In modern wrestling, I put that at the top of the list. Okay, I'll give you that one. I said since Austin and The Rock. I didn't say it was going I didn't say it was going to be better than Austin and The Rock. I said it would be the best since then. So people need to No, no, no. You're not wrong. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Because some people tell me this isn't better than Austin and The Rock. I I never said it was. I said no. It's up there. It's up there with one of the. Greatest it's in the it's 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 in the conversation. It's in the conversation. Uh, but I will say also me another personal thing for me. I love the John Deere look that John Cena had back then with the shirt and everything. Because at the time it reminded me of when I worked at John Deere back in 2006. You worked with John Deere? For one, yeah, for one summer I worked at John Deere. It was uh right before I got into comedy. I, I worked there for one summer. Back in the country, past the city limits. Sorry. Yeah, I tried to go back the next summer after I got, after I was done with school, but there was a new HR guy and he didn't want to hire um, seasonal labor anymore. I had to have either a part time or a full time position, which I couldn't do because I was in school and they weren't open on the weekends, so that wasn't an option. So that's when I ended up going to Home Depot and all that shit started. But anyway, um, it reminded me of when I worked at John Deere back in 06. So I always loved that look. And also, again, the psychology, the working, the fighting. These guys literally brought the fight to each other. And they're hitting, they're hitting their finishes. They're kicking out of everything. They're anticipating every move. There was weapons involved for the right reasons. Both men just being brutal. It's one of those it rare was, moments. It was where, very, huh? It was, it was, it was very, the, the psychology of it was perfect. Yes. Even because, like I said, you could really tell they wanted to repeat. Oh yeah, Cena had one of those rare moments where I want to tear this motherfucker apart. Which is different for him. Uh, yes, and what I also loved about it was at one point Cena locks in the STFU and Randy tries to get to the ropes, but there's no rope break in a hell in a cell. So he grabs the apron and he leans forward and he uses the bottom rope to choke Cena, forcing him to break the hold. Yeah, I thought that was genius. Psych. Yes. And then Orton taps, there's no referee, and Cena doesn't realize until he breaks the hold that there was nobody he thought he won. So he's waking up the ref, Orton hits the RKO, Cena kicks out of the RKO, Orton sells the leg injury from the chair and the STFU, and Orton, and then of course Orton does the whole tying Cena up in the ropes and tries to choke him out. Orton eventually tires out, the ref checks on Cena, and Cena's like struggling to get up, like he's clearly like, like he's gonna fucking die, and Orton wins with the punt kick. Which, which looks brutal as Fuck. Yeah, but here's the thing. If you if you look real closely, I don't even think he touched his head. He hits his hand, actually. No, I think that just before, right when Orton's foot's coming, Cena just flips over and falls. Yeah. And, I, and here's the thing. I blame the cameraman for this. Like, they tried to do, like, a side shot. You shouldn't have done that. Anytime Orton does the punt kick, the camera should be on the, me seeing the side of the guy's head that's not getting kicked. That way it looks like the foot hits him. When you do it from that, that side, that other side view, like from the heart, you, you can't do it from the hard cam. The hard cam gives it away. It giveth away. Yes. Now, if some asshole on their phone does something and puts it on the internet, well, then that's their problem. Then that shit happens. But you, as the television crew or the pay-per-view crew, are not supposed to give the magic away. No. You know? It's like the, pay no, no attention to the man behind the curtain. No. No, you're not. So, yeah. Now, now, now Vinny's, Vinny's not wrong. This is this is how it's supposed to be. Yeah. I'll tell you something I've had problems with, too, is cameramen getting in too close that they end up catching the guys calling spots. Oh, yeah. That's happened, too. I know you've seen it. I've seen it. Mostly on Botchamania. I've never heard it, like, actually in the ring. Yeah. It's like Botchamania brings it up. Yeah, exactly. So, but but anyway, I've seen it happen. Yeah. So, anyway, moving on. Yes. This was 21 minutes and 24 seconds, the longest match of the night. And our lives are better because of This made up for... A lot of other shittiness that happened, including the next match of the evening. Dear God. R-Truth versus Drew McIntyre. What the fuck was this? <laughs> I know. What the fuck was this? This was a goddamn abomination. Oh my God, it was horrible. It was terrible. This was a monkey fucking a football would have been more entertaining than this. <laughs> Here's the thing I want to say. Um, First of all, it says Drew weighs 19 stone. 
Okay. Okay, Mr. Bujarelli, how much does one stone weigh? Good question. <laughs> Wish somebody would fucking tell us that. And now keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, this is now obviously it's 2009. So at this time, Drew McIntyre was not the Scottish psychopath with the amazing physique and gimmick that and he has now. This was the chosen one. A with terrible, the badass theme song. And a terrible physique. But he had the badass theme song. Yes, I love the theme song. Theme song was perfect. I do love this. What is yours? Now is mine. And her is broken. Make them come true. I'll make them for you. Dun, 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 dun. That's the second greatest theme song behind behind Three Count and Jungle Boy. Yes. So Drew at this time, this is back when he was the chosen one. Mr. Man had chosen him to be the future of the industry, and he would be the future of the industry, but not for another decade. And yes, he needed some more. He didn't need some more time. Yes, and uh, going to ICW and uh, Impact did that for him. Yes, yes, it did. Working with Grado does that for everybody. <laughs> Oh, God. Side note, I didn't realize until I was in the ring that how fucking over this motherfucker is. I knew from that Drew Galloway match. Yeah, but when that fucking Madonna song hits. Oh, God. And and you want to hate it, but you don't. Yeah. When you call my name, it's like a little cry. And you're just like, what the fuck? And he comes out there with the fanny pack, and you're just like. And the dance and everything. Fuck's sake, this guy's over. I mean, it is amazing. And he is so, like, in tune with the fans and just the passion that everybody has when he's in there. Like, dude, when he won the ICW title, that crowd was jizzing all over themselves. They were like Jim Ross watching John Morrison in. Or Or Dr. Death. But yeah. And then what was also weird about this match is this is our truth back when he was still serious. You know? Before little Jimmy, before the 24-7, 7-Eleven, I-95. Denny's Grand Slam, Shoney's. Mid-South, Ad- Mid-Atlantic, Heavyweight Champion. Yeah, exactly. Like, before he did all that. Before he was doing all the... Hakuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. 24-7. Champion. Before he did any of that, this was back when R-Truth was serious and trying to make a name for himself. And yeah, this... this is before he became the first ever black NWA world champion. Yeah, before he did that, yeah. Uh, I, and I got to say this. Actually, I think it was after, honestly. No, 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 the, the, no, no, the comedic, no, he, the, this match with no, 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 no. he became the black, first black, uh, NWA champion in 2004, so, anyway, go ahead. 2004? I think so, yeah. Yeah, because he was K-Quick, then he left, then he came back. Yay. Right, okay, that makes sense. So, and he was also a tag team champion with Pac-Man Jones, which is kind of funny. Oh, uh, Pac-Man Jones, and then he was also a, a tag team champion with Road Dog. Oh, yeah, well, that made sense, because... The three live crew, Road Dog, R-Truth is K-Quick, and then uh, K-Dog. But yeah, so this was basically just a basic match. Basic bitch, basic bitch. Yeah, it was basically, you know, the Drew McIntyre nailing a Claymore, but it's not the three count. Instead, he hit a double underhook DDT. That was the Future Shock, before it was called the Future Shock. But it was just, it was just there. It was four minutes and 38 seconds. The shortest match of the night. It was okay. Yeah, it was okay. It was it was a cool down match after Orton and Cena. So it's like, hey, you guys had all this excitement. Yeah. Yeah. Now we have, to, we have to bring everybody down so then they can be so disappointed at the end of this. But anyway. Well, yeah, well it's like you know, well it's like the whole concept of the pop, according to Al Snow, is the pop is like the orgasm. Now Yeah, yeah, but I'm just saying the main event was so disappointing that Okay, well, we'll get to that later because right now we got our next match of the evening. We got a triple threat match for the United States Championship. Kofi Kingston defends the title against Jack Swagger and the Miz. This did nothing for me. I just I didn't like this. But I've never been a fan of triple threats anyway, so Neither have I. Uh, of course, um, you know, the, and then the Miz comes out, and I for, and here's the thing I forgot about the Miz. He was just as annoying then as he is now. Yeah, oh God, he cuts a promo on Newark being a sewer, and the Ninja Turtles live here, and he hopes yeah. the mayor will ban him from the city forever, so he never has to come back. And I'm just like, God, this promo is so god fucking awful. Why does this douchebag still have a job? He is horrible. But overall, I thought it was a great triple threat match. I like, I think Jack Swagger was the breakout star of this triple threat match. 
Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I love the fact these guys had Swagger, in my opinion, stood out the most in this triple threat match. He was a badass from bell to bell. He is an amazing athlete and definitely deserves a lot better than what he got in WWE overall. And then it's like, uh, I remember like Kofi hit the trouble in paradise on Swagger. Miz hits the skull crushing finale, but Swagger. This is, puts by Kofi the way, st- this is back when Kofi was still faking an accent. Yeah, he was still trying to be, he was trying to be Jamaica, man. Even though he was from Ghana with Africa. Yeah. So anyway, just the, the fact that the moves, everything was so fluid. Everything moved very well. Like that was the one thing I was able about the triple threat match was that it was fast paced, but everything ran fluidly. Mm-hmm. So, and that's me taking my. It, it could have been worse but it's not a situation where it's like uh ricky Starks and shane strickland and jungle boy where i have to go holy shit there's wrestling yeah i mean there was wrestling in this no okay what did you see pop and circumstance there was some of that it was a lot of it was a lot of triple threat bullshit then in the end kofi hits swagger with trouble in paradise and he pins miz for the win because you know why the fuck yeah and then kofi retains the title and now, ladies and gentlemen, we're moving on to the main event of the evening, the Hell in a Cell match. We have Legacy versus Degeneration X. This did not deserve to be the fucking main event. I agree. Cena and Randy got fucking robbed on this. They did, yeah. Because that they got fucking robbed on this for some guy that's married to the boss's daughter and the other one who likes to suck dick. And the other two were there. <laughs> The, the other two were just lucky enough to be in that fucking match. Yeah, because obviously... But this was not made of quality. The match itself was okay for what it was, but the, these two did not These two did not get the rub that they should have got as two second-generation stars. They should have got more of a rub, and they didn't, and this was just an awful piece of shit. I mean, it was, I mean yeah, it de- I mean, definitely in the long run, it didn't help anybody out. Obviously, this is Cody Rhodes before he became the American Nightmare, and this is Ted DiBiase before he quit the business completely. Yeah, before he smartened up and decided, maybe I should give my life to God because wrestling ain't helping me and JBL, the wrestling God, ain't helping me either. No, he's not. Uh, <laughs> but I will say... Um, and of course, uh, DX consists of Triple H and Shawn Michaels on this one because the other members of DX by this point were pretty much out the door. And now, of course, Legacy jumps DX during the entrance. And what's interesting about this is um, they hit a double suplex onto the announce table, and it doesn't break. Am I the only one who thinks that's sad and pathetic? I thought this entire match was sad and pathetic. Really? This entire match was sad and pathetic because it didn't deserve to be where it was, and I can't get past that. Yeah. Well, what I enjoyed about it was the fact that Cody and Ted basically take out Triple H. They hit a double DDT on the entranceway, and then Cody hits a crossroads on the ramp, and they drag HBK into the cell and And slam the the door door and lock it. And Triple H tries to get in, but he can't get in. All he can do is watch Sean get fucking tortured. Now, that was pretty good, and Sean Sean did well selling that, but it still makes me go, what the fuck? And also, I did notice this. When Ted kicked Sean in the face after they had, at one point in the match, if you blink, you miss it. Mm-hmm. So this, so I will, I'm not trying to hate on this, but if you look real closely, thigh slap. Yeah. There's a thigh slap. I hate, I hate those two. Don't feel bad. I just was, no, but I'm saying, though, it's like you blink, you missed it. So at least he, he hit it well. It's like, oh, unfortunately, Gator, we have what we call trained eyes. Yes, we have periphery, but I hate the thigh slap anyway, so I'm oh, yeah. glad you call it. But I'm just saying, I know the thigh slap, so I'm saying I, in 2009, I, I, I as I recall, I didn't see this pay per view live. I had never seen it this pay per view before ever. Yeah, because because yeah, I didn't start watching pay per views on a regular basis until mm-hmm. December of two thousand nine. Right. That was the first time I went to Hooters, and that's where I actually met Zach and everybody. So I will say, I liked that, and it was just torture throughout the match, and Sean, like, eventually has moments where he fights back, but they cut him off, and Sean... Sean was selling like Ricky Morton in a sold-out house. Like, he legit had fear in his eyes. Like, Sean, you know, and they sarcastically call him the great Sean Michaels, and he's on his knees crying. Like, that is just so... Emotional, and had you on the edge of your seat. 
And then they go, let's finish this now. And they throw up the DX sign. They drag Sean to the ring post, try to lock in the figure four that made him tap out in the, the previous pay-per-view. Um, but eventually, Hunter, he finally gets the bolt cutters, gets into the cell, and just Triple H comes in, house of fire, and fucks everybody up. He fucked everybody's shit. As well he should. He back body drops Ted over the top rope. Hunter grabs a chain, wraps around his fist. HBK holds Ted, cracks him in the head. Hunter sends Ted bouncing off the cell, and then pedigrees him on the floor. HBK drags Ted out of the cell, and then DX goes back in, and Hunter locks the cell, and now Ted is trapped. And DX now tortures Cody. They wrap a chair around his neck, line him up, hit an elbow drop on the chair, busting Cody's neck. Hunter goes under the ring, gets his sledgehammer. Ted looks at in terror as HBK tunes up the band. He hits sweet chair music. Hunter decks him with the sledgehammer at the exact same time. The timing was impeccable. It was okay. I mean, it wasn't. It was great. And then HBK pins Cody. Ted watches the whole thing outside the cell and screams in anger. As the cell raises up, Ted goes in to check on Cody, only to get sweet chair music from HBK. And the end of the show. And this clusterfuck is now over. Yeah, but I, I'm going to say, I, I know you're mad this was the main event, and I'm not happy that it was the main event either, but still a great Hell in a Cell match. It was okay, but it, it just, it, I don't know, I can't. I can't hold it in the esteem that it should be. Yeah, it's that damn good of a match. Yeah, but it wasn't It wasn't a main event classic. No, it wasn't. It wasn't a main event classic, but it was definitely one of the best Hell in a Cell matches ever. Definitely one of the best ever. And uh, that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm looking at the uh, time we got here, and we are just about out of time. So that, ladies and gentlemen, will wrap up this uh, review of yeah, yeah. Hell in a Cell. Some of us have to go work, children. Yes, uh, Hell in a Cell uh, 2009. Gator, uh, thank you for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to join me, and I look forward to uh, talking to you on the next one. See you tomorrow. All right, so make sure you guys uh, follow the Boochcast. We are on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Yes, pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there, or be a super fan and follow us on all five hosting sites. Also, like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash theboochcast. We have archived episodes of shows as well as great content. Be on the lookout for the recap of Hell in a Cell 2022 being featured on the Facebook page. Go check it out. Also, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at theboochcast latest tweets, photos, and videos. Check out our YouTube channel for our YouTube video content. And be sure to hit the subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified when new content will be posted. Some will be posted by me, and we got a few coming from Gator as well. So be on the lookout. Also, I'm not doing it. Make, yes, you are. Make sure you guys follow us on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash theboochcast, where we do our live wrestling watch parties. Our next one will be Saturday, July the 30th for WWE SummerSlam. That's right. We got the big SummerSlam party of the summer taking place at 8 p.m. Our watch party will be on the Twitch channel. Uh, we're going to be have the bootleg for you guys to check it out if you don't have a Peacock subscription. And of course, it'll either be coming and it'll be coming from one of two locations. We'll be doing the party from Nashville, Tennessee, or here in Atlanta, Georgia. We will let you know at a later date. Also, we got our D&D show coming soon, our Boochcast booking battle, and of course, another special piece of content that will be coming out once all the kings have been worked out. And of course, you guys can also support the Boochcast by going to anchor.fm slash the Boochcast slash support. Become a supporter of the Boochcast. Support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. We got three different levels that you can donate at. The first level is for 99 cents per month. This is for people who don't have a lot of money to spend but still want to put a little skin in the game and help us out. Uh, obviously, we know you guys are hardworking men and women. We would never ask you guys to break the bank, sacrifice a payment, or feel guilt-tripped or pressured into donating money that you don't have. So if all you can do is, uh, listen, all you can do is listen to the show and spread the link to everyone you know, then you are doing us a great service. But if you still want to help us out, the 99 cents level is for you. Why is that? It's only 99 cents. You're not going to miss it. But it'll help us out a great deal because every little bit that we get helps the Boochcast grow, thrive, and evolve. But if you got some extra spending cash and you want to help us out, the second level is for $4.99 per month. Same amount of money you would, we, you would pay for a Peacock subscription. I know a lot of you guys out there aren't fans of the Peacock, so don't give them money. Give us money. We got better content than Peacock anyway. And we got the third and final level you can donate to, which is for a mere $9.99. Same amount of money we used to pay for a WWE Network subscription here in the United States. Ever since it got sold to the Peacock, you got nowhere to put that $9.99 to the $9.99. Bring it over here. We got better content than the network, and unlike the WWE, we actually care about our fans are dedicated to giving the people what they want. You know, option of paying with a credit card or with GPay. Now, the best part is all the money that we raise goes back into this show in some capacity. We used to upgrade our equipment. We used to 
bring in bigger name guests, pay our bills, and take care of all the guys who work very hard on the air and off the air to make the Boochcast a success. So, if you got a favorite co-host and you believe they're to be paid for their hard work, anchor.fm slash the Boochcast slash support is how you make that happen. And then, if there's any money left over, when it's all said and done, we use the rest of the money to feed Zach ramen noodles, and we try to get him laid. Hopefully he doesn't spend 250 bucks like we did. Until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been The Booch Cast. We'll talk to you guys next time. Until then, pizza, baby. And this is The Gator, and I'll see you later. Bye. Well, I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye-bye. Keep warm. Relax. Eddie. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, mon vieux. A la prochaine. Goodbye till when we meet again.